Well, let's stand together and take our Bibles, and if you would, turn to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I really do appreciate Brother Getch mentioning a couple of the things that he mentioned. Uh, Pastor Doug Fisher has been a friend of mine for 35 years. He spoke for us 35 years ago in the balcony of the old church. We had like 20 guys up there, and he challenged them. He's a, he's a, a Marine that served in Vietnam, and he just kind of challenged the men uh, to really be soldiers for Christ. And, uh, and so you pray for him. I think there's a few of you from the church there uh, down in uh, San Diego, and uh, I know that he would appreciate our prayers. And then May the 2nd, we're just having an outpouring of interest for May the 2nd. Uh, we have the nurse of the year from both hospitals, the CEOs from both hospitals, the county sheriff, uh, many of the command structure for the county sheriff's department. Just going to be a great opportunity. Uh, in fact, I've already memoed, but I'd like to have some of you that come to the first service come into the second service so you can see, a, see how that service is operated. I think it'll be a blessing to your heart. Second Timothy chapter 4, and uh, I would like to uh, read with you. Uh, verses 1 through 4, familiar verses. Uh, sometimes I quote these verses in preaching, but I've not preached a message in chapel from this text that I know of, maybe in many years, maybe, maybe a decade or more. And I'm burdened about the subject. I want to preach to you this morning on the subject of preaching. Preaching. This is a local church Bible college. And we believe that the local church is God's institution to carry out the Great Commission. But Bible preaching is the engine that pulls the whole train. We've got to have strong preaching. I told Brother England the other day, I said, West Coast Baptist College is a preaching college. That doesn't mean that any other programs of lesser importance, but it means this, if you're an education major, we want you to come out of this college believing in the importance and the primacy of the preaching of the Word of God. We want you to be a lover of the church and of the preached Word. And there are a lot of Christian educators that are not faithful in the local church and not loving preaching like they should. And uh, whether if you're a music minister, that uh, we need music people in the churches that love the preaching of the Word of God. A lot of music people, they kind of do their music thing, and then they go to a back hallway somewhere, or they're just kind of yawning during the preaching. But everybody needs the preached Word of God. Every one of us need it, and I want you to think about that. Some of you are contemplating whether God would use you as a preacher. And uh, I, I know that even Moses felt so unworthy, and all of us should. But when God puts it on your heart, what a great privilege. So let's learn about it this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, Shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would raise up from this school men who would stand in the pulpit and preach without compromise, not seeking just to get an audience, not seeking to 
tickle the ears of their listeners, but men who would proclaim the truth, and women who would know the truth and teach that truth to women and children, and who would stand up in the community for the truth of the Word of God. So bless this time today, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul is writing 2 Timothy from what is known as the Mamertine prison in Rome. If you ever have the opportunity to visit Rome, you'll find yourself going to this prison. It's not far from the Colosseum, just down a ways, down the Forum, the shopping area. It's down in a kind of a dungeon type of an existence. People that went to this particular prison were awaiting their death sentence. And so it was that Paul, the apostle, is writing as he awaits death, as he will soon be a martyr for the faith of Jesus Christ. And there's really just one thing apparently on his mind, one person on his mind, and that was Timothy. And I dare say that really when it comes down to it, some of you have a pastor, a parent, a youth pastor, If they were coming to the very end of their life, one of their strongest desires would be that you would carry the torch of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing to Timothy, and from this prison, he says things to Timothy in this passage. For example, in verse 6, he says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He said, My life's about ready to be poured out. Uh, like a drink offering on the altar. I am about ready to sail out of this harbor. My life is coming to an end. And Timothy, I'm thinking about you. I was telling some of our guests yesterday about so many of the great men of God that have preached here in years past and men that have influenced my life and how that most of them are in heaven today. Their life has already been poured out. If the Lord gives you health, you've got Uh, some time to pour out your life for the Lord Jesus. And Timothy was going to be given this opportunity, and he would provide leadership in places like the church at Ephesus, which was one of the strong churches of the first century. And so Paul is challenging him to be strong and to be courageous and to preach the word of God. Timothy had first seen the apostle Paul in Lystra, on Paul's first missionary journey, and it was there that Paul was stoned and thrown out of the city, and they they thought he was dead. And the Bible says there was a little gathering that came around Paul, and they, uh, they were looking at him. No doubt there was blood, and there were stones all around him. The Bible says that suddenly Paul rose up from that pile of rubble, and the next day he walked 42 miles to Derby, and there he preached the gospel and started another church. He was an indomitable figure. He was someone, no doubt, larger than life to Timothy. And maybe Timothy thought in his mind, well, you know, I could never be like the Apostle Paul. I, I could never lead the church at Ephesus. I could never preach messages uh, through the difficulties like he did. And yet Paul saw something in him. And may I say that somebody has seen something in you. First of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, there's been a pastor, a youth pastor, a parent, somebody that said, you know, you ought to consider Bible college. I believe God has something for your life. And don't ever forget the fact you are here with God's purpose in mind. And Paul could not get over that thought. God wanted to use Timothy. And he wanted to remind Timothy that he could be used, that his life really mattered. 
And there were many things that Timothy would do, things that would be new and maybe a little bit awkward for him. There would be things like overseeing churches and dealing with squabbles between people in the churches. And those are never easy things to do, you know, to get together uh, Iodius and Syntyche and tell them, hey, ladies, you got to stop the gossip or to organize something in the church. That's, that's not easy. But above all the other things that Timothy would do, Paul is going to close this book challenging him to be a preacher of the Word of God. Because when the pulpit is hot and when the pulpit is biblical, many other things will fall into line. I happen to believe the best counsel that I can give to our church members is the preaching of the Word of God Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Preaching is needed to keep the church going in the right direction. Notice a few things about preaching this morning. I want you to see, first of all, the command to preach. The command to preach. We see that in this passage of Scripture, there is a charge that is given. He says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Here is a charge that is declared. And notice the witness that is summoned as Paul gives this charge. He says, I want to charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. No greater witness could have been summoned than the Godhead. And he said, Timothy, before God, I'm giving you this challenge. Some of you will perhaps have a day very soon, if you haven't had it already, where you'll sit before some professors and you will defend your faith. Maybe a year or two into the ministry, you'll be ordained and there will be a group of pastors and maybe some deacons and they're going to ask you some questions about the faith and you're going to defend the doctrines of the faith. And then if it's like it was for me in 1983, you'll kneel down somewhere on a platform and they're going to put their hands on your head and they're going to pray and set you apart into the gospel ministry. Then they're going to preach a charge to you and, and it's all very solemn. It's all very sacred. But I want you to know something that more than the men who put hands on you and more than the church where you are ordained is the fact that there is a God in heaven watching to see that you are true to the purpose that he has for your life. And he says, I'm charging you before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that will judge the quick, that speaks of the saved, and the one that will judge the dead, the unsaved, at the appearing of his kingdom. And so there is a day that is declared here in verse number one. He says, this will happen at his appearing and at his kingdom. In other words, Timothy, you need to live your life with that day in mind, the day when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. D.L. Moody often said, I never give an address without being conscious that the Lord may come before I finish my sermon. Living our life with that day in mind. This is the context from the charge that Paul is giving to Timothy. Revelation 1 and 7 says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. And so here is a charge that is declared in the light of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And students, we must have a passion to live our lives as though this could be the day that Jesus Christ comes again. The Bible is very clear that he could come at any moment. This is the blessed hope. We're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a motivator. And so here we see the challenge given to Timothy. A charge is declared. 
But then we see a responsibility defined. We see a responsibility that's being defined for Timothy in verse 2. He says, Timothy, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He had said earlier to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 11, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Now, Timothy would not have the office of the apostle. Apostles were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. But he would have the privilege to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, preaching the word is the primary task of the church, the primary task of the leaders of the church, the people who are set in the positions of authority. And we must not allow anything to deflect us from this, however good the cause, however great the need. And may I say that we're seeing in America today uh, less and less appetite for preaching and less and less gatherings of the word of God, and yet the greatest need of the hour is the preaching of the word of God. People don't need more and more HBO. They need less of that. They need more and more B-I-B-L-E, preaching of the word of God. And so Paul says to Timothy, preach the word you know, Keruso. It's given in its imperative form, meaning there's no other option here, Timothy. If you're called of God, this is what a Christian does. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. I was enjoying last night fellowshipping with uh, Brother Dennis here, and uh, he's very accomplished. He's uh, had several awards at the Grand Old Opry and different things of this nature. But I noticed he didn't want to talk about those things. He wanted to talk about Jesus Christ. He wanted to sing gospel songs with the children. Can I tell you something? The most important thing about you is not you, and the most important thing about me is not me. The only thing that really matters is that Jesus Christ has saved us. That is what we need to talk about. That is what we need to preach about. And there must be within our heart a great desire to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It must be an urgent desire. Notice it says in verse number two, be instant in season. The word instant here means to stand by, to be ready. We have several firemen in the church, and sometimes I tease them and I ask them questions like, how much volleyball did you play today, or how much spaghetti did you cook today, because uh, they, they have a lot of times where they're just cleaning up things around the fire station. But the job of the firemen is to be ready, so that the moment the bell rings, they can have that truck moving out of the fire station to put out the fire uh, to which they have been called. And the job of the man of God is to be ready, to be ready at any moment, the Bible teaches, that we are to be ready at all times to give an answer to those that would ask a reason of the hope that is within us, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You men need to be ready this summer. Your preacher may say to you, I want you to preach Sunday night. I want you to preach to the teenagers. I want you to preach at the rest home. I want you to give your testimony at teen camp. I'm telling you, be ready to stand up and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's so vital that we would have a spirit of readiness. And then notice not only the urgency of it, but notice the timing of it. He says in verse 2, be instant, in season and out of season. When there's a convenient opportunity and when it's not really that convenient. There are times when preaching is conveniently scheduled. 
There are times, uh, maybe it will be a Wednesday night or a Sunday night, but there are other times when God may put on your heart to witness to someone or to preach somewhere, maybe in a situation where it's not as relevant and there are many unsaved people and uh, perhaps God would call you to go maybe to a park and organize a service and preach and there might be some hecklers. I remember when I was learning how to preach, how I would preach a lot of times in the rest homes and that was always exciting because people always talked back to me while I was preaching there. And uh, they'd, say, they'd say things like, speak up a little, can't hear you. Stop talking so loud, you're too loud. What did that verse mean again? And it was good practice. And uh, just, just sometimes it's not convenient. But listen, when God gives you the opportunity, you be ready to preach. I see a charge declared. I see a responsibility defined. And then I see a message determined. Now notice the message, and don't miss it in verse 2. He says, preach the word. Say that with me. Preach the word. Now, I know you got the mask on, so say just a little louder now. Preach the word, the word of God. You see, as a preacher, I don't get to decide what I'm going to say. I'm not going to get up this Sunday morning and just say what's on my mind. No, no. I have a text. What I'm going to say must be derived from this holy book. I want to preach the word of God. I may give an illustration. I may tell a story, something that sheds light to the subject, like when Jesus told the parables. But ultimately, I want to be true to the text. And that's why we have Bible college, because the last thing we need are men going around screaming and talking about things, taking things out of context, creating uh, new isms and schisms because they are not rightly dividing the word of God. We want to rightly divide and preach the word. Word of God. Spurgeon once said, some brethren are done with their text as soon as they have read it. Having paid all due honor to that particular passage by announcing it, they feel no necessity further to refer to it. Let me just encourage you with something. The text is not your bouncing off point. The text is not something to just be read and then close the Bible. Don't, don't be one of these guys that says, turn anywhere in the Bible, it's all good, and then just start telling your stories. Men, when you stand up behind a pulpit, preach the word. Verse by verse, preach God's word. Quote God's word. Listen, it will not return unto itself void. There is power in the word of God. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen, it will pierce even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there are many times when I felt like, you know, I don't know that I preached all that well today or tonight, but I know that I was true to the text and I know that I gave plenty of scripture and I'm always humbled to see that when I felt like I didn't do that well, God's word did what only God's word could do. And I'd rather have some of you guys stumbling and, st stumbling and stammering and maybe a little nervous and, and uh, a little bit unsure of yourself, but sure of the text. Sure that God's word will do what only God's word can do. There is a command to preach. And I believe God has been stirring some hearts in this college with this command. 
He's been stirring your heart with this idea that you could preach the Word of God somewhere in some city that has no Baptist church uh, where people could hear the Word of God and be saved. In some village, in some country, there are people waiting for you to come and to preach the Word of God. Oh, that we would hear the command. But notice, secondly, the conveyance of preaching. I want you to see this in verse 2. Because Paul not only tells us what to preach, when to preach, but he tells us in this verse how to preach. He says, Timothy, you're going to have to learn how to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. In 1 Thessalonians 2 and 4, he said, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men. But God which trieth our hearts. Now let's just look quickly at a few of these words. Notice, first of all, we see the word reprove. He says, Timothy, there will be times uh, as you begin to assume this responsibility of preaching and leading, there will be times when the message must be uh, of the nature of reproof, which is to convict or to refute that which is wrong. Timothy, you're going to have to stand up and you're going to have to speak the truth and speak to the error of the day. You say, Pastor Chapel, why do you so often preach against the LBGTQ movement and the transgender movement? Why? That is the error of the day in the United States of America. It is the idolatry of the day, and many liberal churches are espousing it today, and God's men must reprove what is wrong in society and in culture today. We're not to blend in with the culture. We're to stand out. And the men and women who will change this world are the men and women the world will not change. And you must determine that you're going to stand by the book, by the Word of God, and not go with every wind of doctrine as you progress along in the ministry for Jesus Christ. So he says, Timothy, you're going to need to expose the fault sometimes. And there was plenty of it in the first century. There was Gnosticism. Uh, There was all types of false teachings of uh, people teaching various uh, heretical uh, thoughts. Uh, There were the Judaizers trying to add to Christ's finished work. And sometimes Timothy would have to stand up and, and reprove in order to help the people to continue to grow. And by the way, whenever God's Holy Spirit through the preached word of God is reproving you, don't be a stiff necked, hard hearted person. Be easily entreated. That's the sign of maturity. When God's dealing with you, be one of the first ones to say, I needed that. I'm thankful that I got that. Timothy was to reprove. Secondly, notice the word here is the word rebuke. Reprove and rebuke. Now here we sense a a little different word, a word that speaks of of perhaps uh, awarding a, a penalty Uh, giving to someone the idea that what they have been doing is wrong. Vance Havner once said, the task of the preacher is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. It's kind of like one verse says, uh, answer not a fool according to to his folly, and another verse says, answer a fool according to his folly. How do you know when to do which? There's only one way, by being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And Sometimes the pastor's job is to comfort the afflicted, and sometimes to afflict 
the comfortable and to stir them up just a little bit. And Timothy might have been the type of personality because Paul had said to him, take a little wine for thy stomach's sake. Take some grape juice, settle your stomach. He may have been a little timid. He may have gotten an upset stomach just thinking about confronting some of these things. And yet there are times when you will have to stand in the pulpit and proclaim truth, uh, not because everyone wants to hear it, but because God's word has declared it. And so we must rebuke and we must be faithful to preach against the sins that are prevalent. There may be a sin of gossip that's taking place and there may be the sin of, of, uh, of drink. There may be the sin of, of some form of uh, compromise. Whatever it is that you would stand and preach the truth. Then notice thirdly he says reprove, rebuke, and then this word exhort. Exhort. I love this word. It is the word parakleo. It is the word that says come alongside of people. Come alongside of them. I think of exhorter. I think of Dr. Jim Shetler back there. He's an exhorter. He wants to be a helper of people. I think of Nathan Burt. I think of several men on our staff here who are exhortational in their spirit. They come alongside and sometimes an exhorter will console someone. Sometimes he'll bring a message of comfort. I remember after 9-1-1 well, when the towers were shot there and exploded in New York City and the whole country was fearful and it was amazing, really, because people were coming into this building, and they were just, no, no prayer meetings were being called. They were just coming in here and praying. I remember my sweet mother-in-law. She was a widow at the time. She was so afraid a bomb was going to drop any day after that, just filled with fear. So many of our elderly were filled with fear. They did not need, in that season, a pastor that was reproving and rebuking. They needed a pastor that would come alongside and bring comfort to them, to exhort them that God is still in control, to exhort them as we have been during COVID, that we want to be careful, but we don't want to be fearful. We're still going to have church. We're still going to go forward. God is able, and reminding people of the sovereignty of God, that God is still working. And so Paul said, Timothy, sometimes we need to exhort and encourage people along the way. Then notice finally what he says there in verse 2, as he's telling us how to preach, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Notice this, with all long suffering. All long suffering. You know, somewhere along the line, some people got the idea that if you're really a strong Christian, boy, if you really believe the fundamentals of the faith, you've got to be meaner than a rattlesnake. Then, and some people think that you're not even really a good, strong Christian unless you're really mean about everything. Can I tell you something? Being strong and being mean are two totally different things. God has commanded us to have a spirit that is long-suffering. And, 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 and the Bible says in 2, Peter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those who oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Sometimes in preaching, it takes some patience. You know, Sunday night I preached a message from 3 John and verse 6, and I was talking about the fact that someone that willfully, consistently sins, and without any sense of repentance, and just in an unbroken lifestyle of sin, according to 1 John 3, 6, uh, they may not know Christ at all. And if you were here, I was pretty straightforward with that, what that text, I believe, really says. And you know, there was a lady that came forward. Some of you might have heard me say, Dr. Rasmussen, help the lady. Remember that, Dr. Rasmussen, Sunday night? Because he thought maybe they were members that just would come to pray, but I knew who they were. They'd been coming for three or four weeks. I'd been talking to them. I'd been watching them. 
I'm just like I'm watching you right now. I, I watch over the crowd while I'm preaching. That dear lady came to me after service Sunday night. She said, oh, Pastor Chapel, I, I got saved tonight. I finally got it settled in my life. And her and her boyfriend were living together out, out of wedlock. You know what she said to me? Can you help us get married? Why? The Holy Spirit's working on their heart. Listen, I knew that they were living together. I, they told me that their first Sunday. By the way, I'm glad they kept coming to church. We just kept loving them and encouraging them and inviting them. And people are coming in from all different walks of life. I was preaching in Houston a few weeks ago, and as I was finishing up, I was talking to some folks at the back. One man came up to me, and, and uh, for some reason, he just wanted to look at my Bible, the leather of this Bible. He liked it. This Bible, uh, Brother Montano got it for me. It's uh, just kind of a gift Bible inside, but they took the cover off, and they put kind of a calf leather on it down in Mexico. And so he's looking, and he says, look at my Bible. He had a Bible from England, and he was showing me this nice leather Bible and everything, I said, oh, that's wonderful. And after a minute, he, he looked at me. He said, you know, six months ago, I got saved. He said, I was in homosexual lifestyle. He said, I was under conviction because one of the men who goes to this church works with me. He said, he invited me to church. He said, they were so nice to me. He said, they, they, didn't, they didn't treat me like some dirtbag. He said, they just talked to me, and the preacher preached, and he said, I got saved. He said, thank the Lord, I haven't turned back to that lifestyle. By the way, there's still power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you think you're going to go around just pronouncing judgment on everyone, they need to know they're sinners. They need to know the truth of God's word. But then once they hear it, let it sink in. You know, sometimes it takes people two or three times just to even get the gospel in today's culture. And sometimes after they get saved, it's going to take patience. I remember years ago I was preaching and I think we were averaging maybe 100 in church and I was preaching on a Sunday night. Everybody has a spiritual gift. Everybody ought to get involved in serving the Lord. And a lady came up to the front. Her name was Laura. She'd been saved just a few months. She, she uh, shook my hand. I said, Laura, how can I help you? I'd just been preaching on maybe being a Sunday school teacher, maybe being an usher or something. She said, Pastor, I'm here to get involved serving the Lord. I said, that's wonderful, Laura. And I was at the very moment I was talking to her praying for wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom because... Laura was such a brand new Christian. I mean, she was a chain smoker. Uh, she would go out uh, uh, gambling at the casinos, not to support Indian self-reliance, just because she liked to gamble. Um, she could curse with the best sailors you ever met. In fact, the ways that she would describe some of my sermons were really colorful. She, she had a way of telling me she enjoyed those sermons, you know. So she's standing right here, and I'm thinking to myself, she's not going to be able to teach the fifth grade girls yet. I got to figure out. So I said, Laura, come and see me tomorrow. Let's talk about it tomorrow. So she came and she saw me. I said, Laura, I want to ask you to be in charge of the vacuuming ministry of our church. Now, don't tell Laura. She's in heaven now, but there's no vacuuming ministry in the Bible. But we made one for Laura, and she said, oh, that would be great. She took all of our vacuums. She took them down to the vacuum shop once a month, got them all taken care of. Every Monday morning, she vacuumed every square inch of our building downtown there. Uh, she'd come back on Thursday. She vacuumed all of, the, all of the buildings on Thursday. When she had to smoke, she went out back where the deacons went. It was really perfect how it worked out. She was just a blessing. And uh, we were trying to buy the property you're seated on right now. And many of our folks gave sacrificially. I remember one family that 
uh, never had a dining room for years and years. They just, for their dining room set, they gave the money to the church. Some people sold Winnebago's and some people dipped into their 401ks. I mean, you're seated in a room of sacrifice and praise right now. And Laura came in to me. She said, I know we're trying to buy that property out there. And she said, Pastor, I've got this envelope for you. I want you to open it. Now, when people give pastors envelopes, we want to look in those envelopes. But we have to act like we're not interested in them. So I looked at him and said, I put my best preacher voice on. I said, oh, Laura, God bless you. But this is between you and God. So take it over there to the bookkeeper and you can give it to them. I don't need to see this. You just take it over there. Now, I was wanting to see it, but I was trying to act like I wasn't. And she said, no, I want you to open that up. I said, well, now it's between you and God. I tried to say it more spiritually. Take it over there. She said, pastor, I want you to, I thought she was going to start cussing at me if I didn't open that envelope. So I opened up the envelope, and inside the envelope were five brand new $100 bills. And she said, Pastor, I have been playing bingo for a long time, but I didn't start winning until I got saved. <laughs> you say, well, did you tell her about the evils of gambling? No, we were in a building program. I was trying to... I, no. We talked to her about a lot of those things, but you know what I was learning? Everyone's going to grow at a different level. And everyone needs not only reproving and rebuking, but they need exhortation and they need long-suffering. The conveyance of preaching many times matters as much as what we're preaching, the way we preach it, the spirit. And then notice here the contents of our preaching. Notice not only the command, not only the conveyance, but the contents. Look at verse 2 as we, as we close that verse out. Notice it says, with all long-suffering and doctrine, and doctrine. Now, God has commanded that his church, 2 Timothy 3.15, would be the pillar and the ground of the truth. To be frank, if the church isn't going to teach masculinity, femininity, if the church isn't going to teach right and wrong, if the church isn't going to teach these things, kids aren't going to get it in public school. They're not going to get it on television. They're certainly not going to get salvation. We must be, as the church, the pillar in the ground of truth. And he says, I want you to preach doctrine. And the word doctrine simply means a set of beliefs. It speaks of theology. You say, well, why do we have so much Bible around here? Because we're training people to preach the word of God and to know the doctrine. And so preaching must be theological. Romans 6 and verse 17 says, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Thank God for the doctrine of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the doctrine of the sinless life of Jesus Christ and for the doctrine of the blood atonement. For without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Thank God for the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection. All of it is our faith. Romans 16 and verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. What a privilege to preach the doctrine of soteriology and to teach men and women the great 
truths of the redemptive plan of God and the doctrine of Christology to teach the fact that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man and that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and eschatology, the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again, the fact that there's hope for the church in the rapture of Jesus Christ, that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the dead in Christ will rise first and we which are alive and remain will join them in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord and bibliology that this book is not man's opinion but that whole holy men of God were moved as the Holy Ghost moved upon them and they spake not their words not their thoughts not their ideas but the very word of God and that these words are preserved and that these words are reliable listen there are great doctrines that must be taught to the next generation Christianity is more than just a vibe or a feeling or a culture Christianity revolves around the doctrine of the Word of God. Doctrine is the glue that holds us together. Someone comes to this place and you're going to see them preaching or singing, whatever the case might be. Why? Because we have a common belief together in Jesus Christ. Theological preaching, this is what the country needs. And then there's practical preaching as well. Applicable preaching but the Bible says in Proverbs 4 and verse 2, I give you good doctrine, forsake you not my law. What did Solomon mean? Solomon said, look at Rehoboam, I'm trying to help you here with how to live and how to love and how to serve and how to, how to spend your money and how to live your life. And doctrine is not merely theological, it's applicable. It changes our everyday lives. And so we see the command to preach, the conveyance of preaching, the contents of preaching. I want to show you just quickly the callousness toward preaching. You're going to have to be ready for this sometimes. Look, if you would, in verse 3. For the time will come. I believe it's come. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Warren Wiersbe said, Why must we Christians proclaim the word of God? Because the time will come when people will not want the word of God and that time is upon us. Many church attenders do not want the healthy doctrine, sound doctrine. We have a love for novelty in our churches today. Too often the person who simply opens the Bible and teaches it is ignored while shallow religious uh, uh, entertainment takes its place. Listen, every one of us must guard a special place in our heart for the preached word of God. We must if we get to the place, and, and it could happen here in Bible college, you hear a lot of preaching. If it gets to the place where, oh man, here we're going again. May I encourage you, when you walk into this room, every time you walk in, say, Lord, there's a lot of other stuff going on. Finals are coming up. I got work. I got a sick relative at home. There's a lot going on. But for the next 60 minutes, God, speak to my heart through the preached word of God. And it might be a tall preacher, a short preacher, a skinny preacher, a fat preacher. It might be a smart preacher. It might be a young preacher. It doesn't matter. If the Bible's open, you can get something every time, every single time. This is a prophesied callousness. He says the time will come. We see that in the era in which we're living. Here, here we see this callousness is prophesied. We see it's, it's perverted. The Bible says in verse 3, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own, notice this word, lusts, 
shall they heap to themselves. And sadly to say, many preachers today are marketing experts and they're kind of finding out, well, they don't really like that preached. Okay, I won't preach that. They don't want to hear the strong declaration of this text. I'll cut that out. They want to keep the message down to this. Okay. And I don't want to offend the banker. I don't want to offend this one. Listen, your job is not to serve at a community or the church to try to figure out what to say. Your job is to get into the Word of God, get a message for God, and preach the Word of God to the congregation. And so we see that there will be those who will come into a form of following their lust. They won't endure sound doctrine. They'll, they'll have these itching ears, and there will be teachers, and there are teachers like this today, who just find out what people want to hear and say it. And that, that may work well for Delta Airlines. That may work well for a grocery store. But our job is not just to please a consumer. Our job is to please our Savior. He's the one who has called us. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 and 1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. You see, we must understand the climate in which we're ministering. We're ministering in a prophesied climate that men will not endure sound doctrine. A perverted climate, they're gonna wanna hear what they wanna hear. They will turn to falsehoods. Notice in verse four, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. You know what happens? There are people that literally turn away from the Lord. Literally say, yeah, that was good when I was raising my kids. That was good when I was overcoming drugs. But let me tell you what, it's good and needful for every season of every man's life. Paul said in Galatians 1.10, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. The preacher must preach to please the Lord. And so we see the command to preach, the conveyance of the preacher, the contents of the preaching, there's going to be some callousness toward preaching. Let me just close with this. The crown for the faithful. There is a crown for the faithful. Some of you are thinking about giving your lives completely over to the gospel preaching ministry. Notice a verse that I love in verse 8. It says, henceforth, well, let, let's read verse 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Here he is thinking of that that day of seeing Christ, and not to me only, but to all them that love his appearance. Now, Brother England would teach you in Greek, perhaps, that this phrase here concerning this crown is in the genitive uh, possessive tense. And notice, this is not something that is merely an object for our uh, observation, but it is something that every believer can possess. Every single one of us who are faithful have the hope of receiving, verse number eight, this crown of righteousness. Notice what Paul says. He shall give me at that day, and then notice this, and not me only. Would you say that with me? And not, hey, 
This crown is for everyone that is looking for Jesus and serving Jesus and faithfully proclaiming Christ. It's not just for the apostle. It's for everyone that's looking for Jesus Christ. They have a promised crown, and one day they'll have the privilege of not only being acknowledged, but then laying that crown at the very feet of Jesus Christ and being thankful for every good time and every bad time, everything that you experience while you serve the Lord Jesus. A few years ago, uh, I took a group of people from our church to some of the places where the Apostle Paul had ministered. And one of the places we stopped was the island of Crete. And Paul sent Titus there. Titus was uh, contemporary with Timothy. And you remember Titus 1.5. He said, Titus, I want you to go to Crete and set in order the things that are wanting. It's kind of like when you guys get hired and you're 22 years old. The pastor's going to say, our youth group's a mess, fix it. You went to West Coast, you're supposed to know something. That's why you file all your class notes. And you listen. And Paul said, Titus, I want you to ordain elders in every city. I want you to set in order the things they're wanting. So Titus went to Crete. There were many believers that had come from Jerusalem. There had been a dispersion of them, but they, they needed order. They needed pastors and preaching and teaching and churches. And so Titus began that work. And one of the places that he went to was a little first century village called Gortine. And I, I had read about this place. It was the place where he did a lot of the training of the pastors of Crete. And it was a place where the main church, the larger church, kind of came up. And Gortine is a Actually, goes back to the Greek civilization. Some of the ancient Greek alphabet is housed in a little museum there. They had a little Colosseum area. On the next slide, you can see a little more of the city there. Uh, this, is the, uh, this is the remains of the church of Titus, Titus's church. It was built in the Byzantine era. It might have been uh, 150 years or so after Titus, but amazing that you could still see something so closely reloaded, re related to Paul and Titus's ministry. On the next slide then, they begin to tell us a story. And the story was that Titus trained an initial group of preachers who then trained their Timothys. That's how the ministry is supposed to work. And around 225, maybe been 250, I can't get the exact date, there was a Roman emperor named Decius. Decius came to Crete, and he demanded that all of the Cretans would worship him as deity. He demanded that of these pastors. And as he demanded that, they refused, and they were taken to that Colosseum I showed you a moment ago. They were run around the Colosseum. They were pounced upon. They were beaten severely, but they would not renounce their faith until finally, in the little city square of this town, they were beheaded for the faith of Jesus Christ. And they were buried, 10 of them, in these very tombs. And they're known as the 10 insurmountable martyrs of Crete. And I remember standing at the tombs. I remember reading this sign. I think there's a sign that simply says, Tombs of the Ten Holy Martyrs. They suffered martyrdom in the reign of Decius in 250 A.D., and I remember kneeling down there and praying for the students of West Coast Baptist College and praying that God would raise up in this college at this time men who would hold to the truth of the Word of God, who would believe the doctrines of the Word of God, 
who would stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. So no matter how liberal this country became, no matter how hateful they become towards people of the book, no matter how difficult to get a building permit or to preach our conscience or to stand against things like the LBGTQ movement or to come through the oppressiveness of things like COVID, no matter how difficult it might be that when this culture in America tells you to bow down, that you would be willing, and I prayed on my knees in Crete for you, man, that you would be called to preach and that you would never dip the colors of our faith and that you would stand for Jesus Christ and having done all the stand, that you would stand faithful for him. Because too many young people go to Christian college, sort of like an experiment. And then just like it says in verse 4, someday you hear, they're just out in the world doing their thing. And oh, how we need a new generation of men with convictions and women who would say, even when I'm challenged with persecution by God's grace, I want to stand and I want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater And if God is speaking to you about this today, never be afraid to say yes to his Holy Spirit. Never be afraid to preach. Some of you coming back next year, get ready. We're already contacting a lot of places. All the rest homes in the area, all the bus routes going to have preachers. We're going to go down to some cities in L.A. next next year and create preaching stations in the parks. And we're going to start creating opportunities. We couldn't do it as much this year. But when the time comes, you're going to be a little nervous. You might feel a little trepidation about it. But be ready. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come. And it has come. And yet we must be faithful to preach the word of God.